I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy Podcast with me, Alison Perry. Sleep. It is that thing that can make you or break you when you first become a parent. Before you even have a child, in fact, you're told to get sleep while you can. And then in those first few weeks and months, it can feel like such an uphill battle, can't it? To get enough sleep and work around the times that your baby sleeps or, as often the case, doesn't sleep. My guests today are experts in all of this, Eve Squires and Gemma Fryer. They're sisters and together they run Calm and Bright Sleep Support, which is a lifeline for so many parents facing sleep challenges with their children. We had a brilliant chat about the extreme approaches to sleep coaching, finding that way that works for you and lots, lots more. Ladies, welcome to the podcast. It is so great to have you here today. Um, We're recording this just after the Easter weekend, aren't we? And I don't know about you two, but my whole household is on a bit of a come down from a sugar-filled frenzy of a weekend. How about you guys? Yeah, I've we're post-COVID and post-house move. I thought it would be a good idea to move house with COVID and my poor sister was up helping. So yeah, we're um, it's all been a bit higgledy-piggledy here. But as ever, we just on, on we go. And winging it as ever. Aren't we all just winging it a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'll tell you what, moving house post-COVID does not sound like fun, Eve. No, I tested that positive like? on day two of move and I was thinking, gosh, this furniture is really heavy <laughs> um, and um, feeling a little bit snappy and a bit worn out. But I thought, well, it's just the move. But no, it wasn't. It was the lovely vid. But we're all good. I can't complain. We've got it all at the same time. So there's there's positives always, aren't there? I love the affectionate terms that we have for COVID. Like the, it was the vid <laughs> and I've heard people saying like, you know, um, the Rona and it's like and obviously it's not belittling how serious this is for no. a lot of people and has been for a lot of people but I think that we almost like look for like little ways to I guess mm. use humour to cope definitely. with situations don't we definitely absolutely it's such a lovely um yeah it's such a lovely tool isn't it when things are tricky for, for us certainly we try to laugh mm. through a lot of things otherwise we'd cry <laughs> yes so Gemma how about you so I mean um, remind me you've got you to, to your sisters for anyone who doesn't yeah know and have you got eight kids between you we have so yes. I have four my youngest is eight months my eldest is 11 and Eve has four too I mean seriously it's a lot of children 
That's a lot of kids, a lot of kids. So you've got you've got an eight month old Gemma. Yes, yeah, Paisley's eight months now. Um so wow. yeah. It just very much That's in the still thick like of probably it. in the thick of it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, exactly. In the early days. when we wrote our book, I was actually pregnant with Paisley. And so so much of the things that I spoke about about the third trimester, the fourth trimester, I was kind of living through it as we wrote it, which was which was really lovely because I really felt in tune with everything. Because I think you forget sometimes, don't you, with each baby, you almost forget each age and stage. So it's been lovely actually to be in it. And she's yeah, she's just a dream. She's a very precious little babe. And Eve, what are the age ranges of your kids now? So Ted is my youngest. He's seven in two days. And my eldest Tilly is 13. And she was the one who for anyone that knows my story, I had in the back of the car at 10 months old, uh, not far from Posey's age now. And it was she who I crashed my car with because I was so tired. So she's actually the first sort of CMB babe. And since the day that I did the sleep teaching with her that I kind of made up because I didn't like the horrible, harsh ones, um, she's probably had less than 10 broken nights sleep in her life so she's a really great poster kid for it so tell us tell us a bit more about that then so yeah so you were you were a sort of newish mum had you know at your wits end with in terms of like sleep you know broken night sleep um and you were driving along with your eight month nine month old in yeah 10 month old baby and I was feeding her every sort of two hours night and day because I believed at the time that you just did everything on demand, which I still believe. Uh, but that doing on demand, despite her beautiful Michelin man thighs for any 80s or 90s babies with all the huge rolls and chunks, she was still feeding. And I believed through hunger and need, but in fact, she didn't need it. Her body was showing me and I could not continue with the exhaustion. I, I crashed my car because I now know what it does to the brain and body, sleep deprivation. And that was it. I just got home and thought this can't be the only way. It's I'm not safe. I'm not safe physically and I'm not safe mentally. Yeah, that must have been absolutely terrifying. It really was. And whilst it wasn't a serious car crash, it really made me feel, hold on, I'm I'm not sure this is what it's meant to be about. Mm. It's supposed to be, you know, people kept telling me, enjoy these early fleeting years. You know, you never get it back. Just like what you touched on, I saw your recent post. And I thought, well, if they're so important, don't I need to be present for them? Don't I need to not be feeling really resentful and bitter? And I was willing the days to pass only to be met with another night where I was surviving on seriously what I now know to be dangerous levels of sleep deprivation because when we've had even less than seven hours a night consistency which consistently which must be millions of parents around the world we are more impaired than drink and drugs combined so it really does impact us massively and that's why when we speak to parents we say you know it feels difficult and exhausting because it is difficult and exhausting and of course babies are programmed to wake through the night in the early months we don't actually recommend doing any active sleep teaching before six months but it's also important to talk about how difficult it is because even though we're all doing it we talk a lot about this badge of honor Eve describes it beautifully about how we wear this badge of honor that we're just supposed to be okay with this but actually it's really hard and I think talking about it really really helps Mm, it does it does it's tricky though isn't it i mean you talk in the book about how there's a lot of guilt tied in with the reasons that a lot of parents don't tackle sleep issues for a long time but then equally sometimes when you do talk about it 
you might get kind of, you know, a bit of judgment mm. or a bit of shaming, like whether it's from, you know, somebody on Facebook, like a Facebook mm. friend or whether it's from one of the other mums. Um, even last night, I had some comment on Facebook, someone, not on, on Instagram, someone, it wasn't to do with sleep, but it was just general mum shaming. It was someone saying, you chose to have kids oh and all you do is complain about them. And maybe if you did something that they wanted to do rather than force them to do what you want to do. And I was wow. like, oh, I'm such a bad mom. <laughs> and then I was like, no, 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 no. Hang on. Come on. Come on. But there's so much of that around, isn't there? That mm. kind of like emotion around the decisions that we're making with our kids. There is. It's so loaded and it's not, it's really important to say it's not just one way. It's not just that there is judgment for people who choose to sleep train or teach as we prefer to call it it's also judgment the other way around like you say well if you're tired why don't you just sort it out so the judgment and the guilt tripping goes both ways Mm. and we do this thing called cognitive dissonance where whatever view we have we really have to believe that it's right so if we breastfeed we have to believe that's the best option if we sleep train we must believe that that's right so we have to kind of often we kind of have to put down the other group or the other view because it makes us feel better and more at peace with what we've chosen is that similar to is that similar to i've heard people talking about confirmation bias is that similar mm. where you almost look for proof and evidence back up yes. what you think it's really similar it, definitely in the same family and we do it to feel better but ultimately if we could all just accept that there is no one right way to do it and that we are not in the shoes of that parent who's made that decision and if we could just mm. respect that only we can make the decisions for our family about how we do sleep and parenting in general. I, I believe that we could have so much power in how we could support each other. Mm. That's so true. That's so true. And, you know, sleep is one of those things that, you know, like you've said, it can really kind of make you or break you. And it's so divisive and everyone has a different opinion and there isn't one way of doing it. There isn't like a, you know, one size fits all. Um, now, even before you have a baby, like I'm sure, Gemma, you you must have been thinking about this when you were pregnant quite recently. Um, you know, with your with your youngest, people say things like "get sleep now while you can," yeah. or then when you have the baby, it's like "sleep when the baby sleeps." Like there are just so yeah. many opinions so about much. sleep, and it's lots of it is well-meaning advice. You know, from your mother-in-law, from your best friend, from people that just want to tell you about their story. I mean, it's like those horror birth stories, isn't it? Like you don't want to hear that when you're about to enter into your journey, which whilst it might be similar to someone else's, it is entirely your own. And you're totally right. I've said there's so much conflicting information and also preconceived preconceived ideas, things that, you know, you have your ideas about how you want to do sleep feeding and the reality is often somewhat different and I think that can be really difficult for parents to navigate through taking a different path when parenthood is all about riding those choppy waters isn't it and things being calm and then being difficult and that whole journey through it yeah and it can be really hard like you've said it can be really hard when you're so tired Mm. to actually almost like see the wood for the trees like you, you 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 can't make sense of things you can't decide what is a sensible way to you know you and you read so many you might have you know be reading mum's net threads yeah. and you know looking at instagram and reading different books mm. and 
it's just overwhelming. Yeah. And, and the comparison thing of what your friend is doing and, and, you know, we all get caught up in that comparison thing, especially when things are splashed across, you know, social media. So, yeah, it's so important that you can tune into what feels right for you and try and drown out any other noise because your journey is your own journey. And I've learned so much in parenting my babies in, you know, very different ways, actually. The way I parent Posey is completely different to how I parented my eldest son so we're just forever learning but there's so much judgment and so much conflicting information it can be hard to actually know what you want to do and to decide when especially when you're exhausted you know yeah there's just so much noise like filtering that that all that Mm. noise um now Eve um you said that you after you had that car accident and you were like right something's got to change here that you basically kind of created your own kind of sleep teaching you know um formula i guess yeah. or like regime whatever you want to call it yeah i guess the way that, the way that i sort of view things is that there are i feel like there are kind of two different approaches like quite sort of polar opposites you've got the kind of hardcore sleep training approach which i think i kind of tried a version of with my with my eldest which was very much like um put your put the child in the bed don't make eye contact um, you know, back off, let them cry for like, I don't know, 45 seconds, go in, settle them, leave, double the amount of time that you're leaving them for. And it was so kind of like regimented and like, okay, I need to do this, I need to do this. And it just felt awful and it felt terrible. And, but I was like, no, no, I need, we need we need to do this. And then at the other end of the scale, there are, there's the advice where it's like, just bring your baby or your child into bed with you. And neither of these approaches make sense to me as a mum or work for me. And it can be really hard to kind of think, well, mm. is there an in-between? Like, what is, what's the right thing to do? So yes. as a mum with, you know, with a 10-month-old and you were like, something's got to change, how did you even begin to create something of your own? So really, really good question. So I, I use this in my personal life as well, okay? So I read this incredible book by this woman called Glennon Doyle called Untamed. And she said, I know, literally, I, I don't know if you know my personal story, book. but... I, yeah, I left my 21 year relationship last year in May. No, um, I didn't know that. And I did that because I read the book and I, for years I hadn't been in a happy, healthy relationship and I knew, but I didn't want to know. And the thing that got me the breakthrough is the same thing that got me the breakthrough in the sleep teaching, because she said, you don't have to know what you're going to do. All you have to know to justify change is not this. So if you know that this is not okay, that's enough to take steps. So in answer to your question, I knew that I absolutely did not want to do the brutal, what I perceive to be brutal, military timed, regimented, strict, affectionless, um, rigid routine, but I, which was brutal. However, what I was doing was brutal. What the, the wakes and the relentless exhaustion and the sleep deprivation to my brain, my body, my soul was ebbing away. That too was brutal. So I said to myself, right, what can I do that will not do what I did before? Because that wasn't working. And my favorite phrase is nothing changes if nothing changes. So I had to do something different, but I didn't want to do the 30, 40 minutes, shut the door, see you in the morning. Not by the way, to say that's wrong, because I know several children who are now grown up who are the most attached, gorgeous, happy kids that did have that. So, but it wasn't for me and neither was this completely Um, feeding without questioning, not being objective, just doing it because I'd been told it was the right thing. It didn't feel right. So I came up with something that I perceived to be 
highly responsive, but saying through my actions, I love you and I will always come back and you will never have to figure this out on your own, but I believe in you enough to give you the tools to do this for yourself. Because ultimately, from the second that we cut that umbilical cord, our job, I believe, is to make them so secure and confident that they can one day drive off down that road in their first car or whatever to uni and look back and feel that they have the tools to navigate this world. That's our job. We're actually enabling separation gracefully and peacefully and dignified, you know, throughout. So that's the answer is a middle ground for me. And it's not for everybody, but for for me and and it seems for lots of other people, it it feels good and feels right. So what does that look like in terms of, you know, the actual practical side of things? So it would be that instead of just doing these timed things where, oh, it's five minutes, I must go in. We have a um, a level of crying that helps us to tune into what they're actually doing. So for example, let's say that you decided, and the timings don't really matter, Alison, that's the newsflash. If you decided five minutes was your time, but when you got to five minutes, they weren't actually that upset and they were kind of having a grumble or figuring it out or, you know, taking a breather, we would then ask you to hold back and hold off and let them see what they're doing. But we also give parents the tools that when they are really upset, regardless of the time, to, to go in and offer reassurance and to do that however it looks and feels for you. Um, um, but it's ultimately the biggest thing is not doing what has become the crux. So there's nothing wrong with feeding to sleep, but if your 10-month-old baby needs, in inverted commas, to be fed back to sleep every even more frequently than they did when they were a newborn and they've got these lovely chubby thighs and they're eating really well, it gives you the confidence to not do that but to offer comfort in other ways, which is up to you how. Right, 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 right. Um, and you, so you started offering this advice to other mums in your local area, is that right? And then you brought Gemma on board. So Gemma, you're a paediatric nurse, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. And when Eve started volunteering, she honestly got a reputation for herself as like the village crazy sleep lady. She would literally <laughs> breastfeed Tilly, um, and then Tilly would go to sleep and she would go out into parents' houses and help them with bedtime and then come home to her babies. And I would just think, I was like, love, it's amazing what you're doing. I was off in London um, nursing children. I've been doing that for 18 years. It was, you know, it was my vocation, my job. And Eve had been volunteering for four or five years. And then I had uh, my second son, Louis, um, and I'd used the method with him. I didn't need to use it with my son, but I needed to use it with Louis and it worked after three nights. And I did that when he was seven months old. And I remember Eve was getting busier and busier because the demand was there and she was volunteering and someone had said to her, like, you know, I would pay a lot of money for this. Like you need to put these amazing skills to, to into a business. And it, all, it didn't really sit well with you at first, Eve, did it? Because you were a bit like, I can't charge people for this. I want it to, I didn't want it to be an exclusive thing. Uh, but Eve will talk about that in a minute. But when I came on board, I remember Eve calling me and saying, look, I need some help. You're on mat leave. Why don't you give it a go? And I said, I love what you're doing. It's amazing. But I'm not going to get the same job satisfaction that I get out of being a nurse and saving little babies. And she said, just do this one call, this one family, just see how you, how you like it. And within a week, I was hooked. And I remember calling him on the phone in tears after supporting my first ever family. And I still remember their names and the age of their babies. And we're still in touch to this day. And I remember saying, oh my gosh, love, we are actually saving lives doing this, but in a different way. 
And that was, yeah, Louis eight tomorrow. So I've been doing this for eight years and we have an incredible team of paediatric nurses, health visitors, and we have a clinical psychologist on our team. So we're all NHS professionals. Um, and we, yeah, we help families across the globe and we've been doing it for, yeah, over a decade if you add in all of Eve's work before that. That's amazing. Um, and it's interesting you say about the difference, that sh- I guess that shift from volunteering to turning it into a business. Do you get much criticism from people like perhaps health visitors or other paediatric nurses who maybe disagree with your methods? Because as we've already discussed, uh, you know, there are so many different ways of doing this. Yeah. Um, and perhaps you think that you're like playing on vulnerable new parents and trying to sell a dream to them that you know, isn't going to work. Yeah, we we don't get criticism from professional um, nurses. In fact, we get signposted from several GPs and nurses and health visitors to our services. But there absolutely is criticism and cynicism and very um, charged emotional criticism of people going, how can this be true? And yeah, we've had, um, because we have trolls now that we're slightly bigger accounts. So we'll have people saying that, yeah, you're preying on vulnerable parents. And we're thinking, okay, well, vulnerable parents come to us and get a lot of free support and a lot of help. And we just let our reviews speak for ourselves that there's like 97% excellent on Trustpilot people saying these people have changed our lives. They've given us hours of free time and support. So there will always be people that will be against it. But what we find is usually, in fact, I'd go as far as to say always, what's behind really fierce, aggressive criticism is exhaustion and is deep fear that they really desperately want in on that sleep. But because of what they've heard, and there is a lot, Alison, there's a lot of misinformation out there, dangerous propaganda against sleep teaching, which we cover in the book. And so these people, it's not their fault. They have been subject. I was one of them. Um, I believed that I would scar my baby for life and they would grow up to be, um, you know, withdrawn and neglected, not able to form meaningful relationships if I did a bit of sleep teaching that was attended to and... Um, So it's not their fault. So yes, we get it, but only when people don't have the full pick. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of Not Another Mummy podcast is brought to you by Jim Mondo. I don't know about you, but between children, daily commitments and life admin, finding the time for working out is no walk in the park. What's more, gyms can be intimidating and they just don't work for everyone. So if gyms aren't your cup of tea, join the growing list of people cancelling their gym memberships 
in favour of working out at home with Jim Mondo. Jim Mondo is an online fitness and well-being platform with hundreds of 20 to 30 minute workouts and training programs ranging from HIIT and yoga to dance and meditation, plus over a thousand healthy recipes. Aside from the freedom and flexibility Jim Mondo offers, exercising at home is fun, saves you money, fits perfectly into your lifestyle and helps you stick at your fitness goals. So start a 14-day free trial and save 50% on your annual membership by visiting jimmondo.com, that's G-Y-M-O-N-D-O.com, and entering the code MUMMYPODCAST. So let's talk about that, because I, I found that really interesting, reading that in your book about the link between the children that were in Romanian orphan- orphanages between the 60s and the 80s, and the thinking um, around the psychological effects of sleep training. Um, can you can you chat a bit about that and, um, you know, the effect that that had on just the, 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 the things that mums just mm. accept as fact? Right. Yeah, I think that's the single most important thing, Alison. So thank you so much for bringing that up because the single biggest thing that stops parents doing sleep teaching across the globe is the innate fear that they will cause damage to their child. Now, show me a mum that would go, yeah, I don't mind about that. They might be emotionally imbalanced when they're older, but as long as I get sleep, you know, nobody. So we nobody would advocate that. And what we have to remember is in a civilised, democratic, um, respectful society as we live in, we're not going to have people professionally charging for something that's child abusive or neglectful. It's just not rational or reason reasonable to expect. Um, where it comes from is, as I talk about in the book, is um, 1990s Romania and a basically a government policy that wanted women to have as many children as possible. They used to get an award if they had 10, for example, for the Brave Mother Award. And it was to create an army for power and money, etc. Um, classic old, you know, greed and power sort of motivations. And so as a result of that, there were hundreds of thousands of orphans throughout that country and the families simply couldn't look after them emotionally or physically. And those children went through absolutely horrific, abhorrent um, circumstances. And I don't go into it too much, but ultimately deep physical, mental neglect and not just neglect. So it's not just not feeding them or not clothing them or not keeping them warm, but it's also hosing them down with cold water. There was pneumonia. I mean, I could go on, they would leave their nappy soiled and then lots of other horrific things. Now, unsurprisingly, as a result of that, there was deep psychological damage um, and physical damage. I mean, actual stunted growth physically as well, interestingly, the studies show, but also you know, forming meaningful relationships and how they viewed the world um, and just huge impact, unsurprisingly, on them because of the trauma they experienced in childhood. Um, now, that in itself exists, but what we must do is know that that is absolutely incomparable to a child who is not an orphan, who is fed, who is warm, who is loved, who is secure, going through sleep teaching for approximately three to five days and they're not upset for all of the night or half the night or a quarter or an eighth or even a sixteenth of the night. And when they are upset, we're attending to them. So the argument that a baby only stops crying because care, they learn that their care will never come is a heartbreaking concept called learned helplessness. That is not what is happening. 
in sleep teaching at all. It's responded to if they do get upset, that's okay because we don't, if for example, our child was in the backseat of a car and they didn't want to plug in and they were upset, we wouldn't go, don't worry, darling. I don't want you to be upset. So I'll drive around at 90 miles an hour, risk your life. But as long as you're not upset, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to give them what they need over what they want. So the, the arguments against sleep teaching are not relevant and they're not they, they need they need to be put into context yeah yeah I mean I, I find that absolutely fascinating and also reassuring because it is that thing where you think oh my goodness like and, and you talk about this in the book as well you talk about that it, it, you know there's so much of that kind of inbuilt instincts that that mums have as well as dads but mothers we have this thing where if our child cries it you have a, an actual reaction yeah. to it, don't you? Like a bodily reaction. Actually, I find this so fascinating. And, and like you said, Alison, we talk about this in the book, but we're programmed over centuries to respond, to rush in, to to be there for our babies. Um, and that's deeply programmed. And I think th- that is exacerbated depending on the childhood that you had. Yes, of course. And even I were extremely lucky to be from a mother who was extremely attached, a social worker. We had all of our needs met. We're incredibly lucky. And we know that that isn't everybody's journey. But even in, you know, I have friends who, you know, did have incredibly happy childhoods um, and are still very anti-sleep teaching. And I think... I think we have to consider, and we talk about this in the book, our journeys to motherhood, because that can have an impact, not only our childhoods, but our journeys to getting our babies. Did we go through a long journey to get them? Did they follow loss? Um, I've experienced four baby losses on my motherhood journey over the last decade. And I know that my babies that followed loss, especially Posey, who was one of a twin, we lost her twin at 10 weeks. Um, Our sleep journey has been completely different. I've only just stopped co-sleeping with her for that reason. So we have to consider that, it might be that sleep teaching of any sort is not something that you're able to do, but we also have to talk about the truth that if you want to do it in a responsive way, there is a way to do that. Um, and we're really proud of the way that we do that over here. Yeah, yeah. So I um, I asked um, some people on Instagram um, if they had any questions for you guys. Are you happy to for me to... Um, put a few questions to oh, you. We'd love to. Can... We'd really love to. That's our favourite part, to be honest. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All of this preamble, it's just being a bit dull, but let's get to the good yeah. stuff. Um, so this is one that I think a lot of people will be experiencing. So um, so this person said that um, she's got a 10-month-old who is a great napper, but keeps waking up between 4.30 and 5.30 a.m. And she doesn't know how to how to fix that because that's that's hard isn't it when every morning you're waking up and it's like 4 30 a.m that's not even we we call an early wake anything after six um um because hang um, on hang on an early wake is anything sorry sorry after five and pre-six so if it's before 6 a.m it's actually a night wake so we would treat it as a night wake so people say i'm having early starts but they're not it's a it's actually a night wake so it would need to be treated as such so what we would do in that instance the first place we'd look is the naps so i know she says he naps well 
But that, for example, from about nine, 10 months of age, they begin to transition to get ready at least to transition into one nap, which happens between 15 to 18 months. And what they want us to do then is to cap their first nap so that they then take that lovely long nap in the afternoon. So the first thing we do is look at naps because even if they're good, they might not be at the right times. We need to have the sleep at the right time of day so that it can last them through. Because interestingly and quite weirdly, uh, early wakes are almost down to overtiredness. So it's strange, like they get wired, they get an injection of cortisol and adrenaline in their blood and they wake up early. So we would want to look at day sleep. We'd want to look at whether that baby self settles, which is the absolute golden ticket to all sleep. And then we'd want to give them some steps to how to deal with that. So it would be not coming downstairs, for example. It would be not giving them any kind of payoff, like a bottle or a cuddle, unless of course they need it and they've had a bad dream. But in normal situations, it wouldn't be rewarding them waking up. So yeah, that they can almost always be fixed, you know, well, early wakes. It's not something that people have to struggle with. I wish I'd known that, you know, um, nine years ago when 5am was my, just for years, it was just, that's just when we woke up. Um, Okay, so the next next section, uh, the next question is transitioning from cot to bed. So Katie is saying that she needs to move her toddler from cot to bed and he is having none of it. This is really hard and it's actually a really common question that we get asked in our inbox every day, I think. And the best advice, and this is one of Eve's, which I love, is when you do the transition, obviously for Katie, this might be a little bit late, but there's so much we can do to help her. But when you're doing that transition for parents that are about to do it, try not to use the words you mustn't get out of bed. You're in your new bed, don't get out because you're almost giving them an idea in their mind when they probably weren't thinking about getting out at all, you know? And I use this with all of mine because luckily mine came after Eve. So I've learned a whole lot from my big sister. <laughs> but truthfully, if you're saying don't get out, you're in your lovely bed, don't get out. You know, you'll give it, they might not, it might not have even come to their minds to get out. So keeping it super chill, which is very much our approach, like we don't have one set time in our plans, which really surprises people, but keeping it chilled, doing the transition, helping them be part of the transition. So bedtime, um, choosing their bedding, if they're getting new bedding and just keeping it super chilled. But what is super important is keeping that loving boundary in place from the start. If that first night you get them into your bed or you take them downstairs, you're kind of setting a precedence for how it's going to look. So it's about putting boundaries in place and you can do that in a really responsive way, which is what our toddler plans are all about. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, And then quite a few questions came in around two or three-year-olds waking every night. And this is something that we've had and we're still having with one of my three-year-olds. So Nicola says, I've got a two and a half-year-old that wakes every night between 3 and 4 a.m. How do I make it stop? Uh, And Gillian said, my three-year-old is still up every night, uh, wanders around at around 12, 1 1 a.m. and then wants company help. Mm. Okay, so the... The single biggest bit of advice we could give anybody that has a sleep problem, whether they're three or 13 months, and whether it's a cuddle they get or a bottle or a co-sleep or a chat or a blanket pulled up, or in some people's cases, cowpole. Some people get into habits of giving cowpole, for example. Anything that they get to get to sleep or back to sleep is what they will come to wake for. So it's literally as simple as if when they wake, they get X, fill in the gaps. If that continues, so so long as the X remains, so long as the cuddle, the bottle, the hand holding, the song, the, the, the visit to your bed, the wake will remain. So the minute that that payoff is removed, 
that will stop. So it just takes three to five nights of you saying, no matter what happens, come hell or high water, I'm not doing the thing. And everyone will know, as I'm saying this, what that thing is. When that stops, it will stop. So we're literally talking whilst I know everyone's going to go, oh, but if I don't do that, she's going to do that. She might wake up the other siblings. I can tell you exactly what will be said. But truly, the thought of waking up other siblings is far worse than the reality. It very often doesn't happen at all. You can put white noise on for the other siblings, for example. But we are literally talking. This is what we're talking. So what day are we today? It's Tuesday. So if people had something to overcome like that, I'm telling you now, by the next Tuesday, you could all be on those 12 hours. It is that simple. So would you just cold turkey it? So whatever that thing is that they're waking for, you just don't give it to them and let them let them cry until they no, fall asleep? So, no, no. So you would you would talk to them first. So anyone above 18 months, 12 months, you'd say, look, I believe in you. You're amazing. You don't need this bottle. Look how big you are. Look at those big wellies you've got. Look how you splashed in that puddle. Look at that pitch you drew. I believe in you and I know that you can sleep without this. So when you wake in the night, we're not going to have a bottle because we don't need that now. So mummy's going to come back and reassure you but we're not going to have that. And then you would stick to it. So it doesn't mean leaving them to it. It might mean going back and just not doing the thing. So let's say it's a bottle. You would go back and um, first of all, you'd be sure that they're properly upset. If they were just in bed going, I want a bottle, I would be leaving them to it because they're not distressed. They're showing you they're okay. But the minute they're like upset or they come out, I'd go back and say, mommy loves you so much. I can't wait to go to the park in the morning. We're not going to have a bottle tonight. Sleep well, see you in the morning. And I'd have that on repeat mm. as many times as you needed to offer reassurance. And it feels like a slog, but I guarantee you that if you stick to it, let's say you had a god-awful, Alison, two hours, God forbid, of awful upness, a horrific night. The very next night you do it, you're looking at an hour. And the very next night you're looking at 30 minutes. And by night four, night five, you're done and you'll go, yeah. why didn't I It's profound, isn't it? The changes are really significant and and also I talk about boundaries a lot on our page but people are like what are boundaries what are loving boundaries it's putting a boundary in place so that your baby feels safe with whatever responses you're giving them be that feeding so they're safe with that or be it changing your approach and it's, they'll only test for as long as they need to your babies until they feel safe safe that those responses they're getting from you are the same whatever that looks like so the reason that we have non-verbal um, we have lots of non-verbal putbacks lots of emotional reassurance for babies of this age toddlers of this age it's really important like Eve said but people don't believe that it can be different when you're in it and when you're exhausted and you just do it to get by and we've all done it even I have done it at different points in our journeys through motherhood so it's about changing your responses and knowing that ultimately as soon as they feel safe with what's happening the testing will stop, the protest will stop, and it happens sooner than you think. It really does. Yeah, you've reminded me, Gemma, actually. So I, I say to either choose, you can either choose short-term gain and long-term pain. So the short-term gain is you, you give it and you get mm. sleep quicker in that moment, but the but it will exacerbate and it will continue. Or you choose a little bit of short-term difficulty and pain for the long-term gain. So that, that often helps people. That really rings true. Um, a few months ago, we were in this situation with one of my twins, where she would wake up every night and my husband and I would alternate who would go to her each night uh, and when it was my nights to deal with her and to help her I would just scoop her up out of her cot or out of her bed and take her down to the sofa and just lie with her all night 
And that's totally what you're saying. That's like short term. I was like, I need sleep. I'm going to do what Mm. it takes to get sleep. But it wasn't the best thing for her long term to be doing. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that, Alison. So when we do the, the cut the corners and we do, we do it not because we're lazy. We don't do it because we're trying to take the easy option. It's not easy to get up at 3am and go on the sofa. It's horrific. So let's not be hard on ourselves. We do it to survive. But if we could just go up and hover above the big picture and go, it's Tuesday, by next Tuesday, I can have this done. And we're doing this for our family. Then you find them. And I've got goosebumps now. And I always get goosebumps when, you know, it's the pure truth. You you find that energy. And, you know, one of the arguments against it is, but I'm already knackered. How can I choose to be more knackered for a week? And I'm going, it's a week. Mm. And then you won't be knackered. You can do a week. You can do a week. Yeah. 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 And I love what you guys say about golden time with like toddlers and preschoolers that giving them like 10, 20 minutes of one on one dedicated time every day can make a huge difference to their sleep patterns. It's so important because, you know, our toddlers are their worlds are opening up around them, especially after COVID. Some of these babies that have been born in lockdown, they're starting nursery settings or, you know, their worlds are opening up, opening up. They're like little sponges. So it's so important to meet that emotional need. And it's not a case of you stop meeting needs when you sleep teach. Of course you don't. But by having that golden time and almost ticking that box, you know that you've given them that time without your phone, without any distractions. And that's super important. And with any separation anxiety, it's just about reconnecting. Um, Um, and initiating cuddles, initiating contact. And that's my top tip for any separation anxiety and it will start to ease. Yeah. Um, We had another question, which I think a lot of people will will identify with, um, which is toddlers and preschools getting into parents' bed. So um, we had one question, which was, how can I get my three-year-old twins out of my bed? Their cots are just ornamental now. And then um, Lynn said that her five-year-old every night comes into her bed and she lets him stay because she's a full-time teacher. And I guess by that she means she has to get a good night's sleep. It's not an option for her. Um, should she be bringing him back to his own bed or just allowing him to sleep in her bed? So there's no shoulds. So if him getting into her bed means she gets sleep, he gets sleep. She's happy with it. He's happy with it. He's rested. His immunity's good. She feels like she's close to her partner if she has one. She feels like she's getting her work done. Don't change it. My hunch would be he's probably not as rested as he could be. Maybe, maybe he is. So does it work for you? So there are no shoulds. So no, she shouldn't put him back in his bed. But if she wants to, and she believes that everyone will be happier, then yeah, she she could. So there's no shoulds. That's really important. What if, what, what if he's quite happy getting into her bed, but she's a bit like, oh, for, for, for whatever reason, she thinks, actually, I'd be a bit happier if you were back in your own bed. Is that is that a valid reason to make that change? Billion percent. We cannot look at this the oxygen mask again we we must put our oxygen mask on on the plane first before we attend to others and I personally could not survive more than a week of broken sleep and when we say broken sleep by the way if in those first five hours this is really critical actually so the first five hours of sleep are when we wash away our Alzheimer's proteins our immunity builds we do our emotional filing so say someone was rude to us that day we'll go well maybe they're having a bad time at home. So we we basically make at peace with everything. And if in those first five hours that sleep is broken, even by five minutes, this is the point, even by 30 seconds, the point is we're pulled out of our sleep cycling. 
And that is really damaging. So I, I'm sure you can empathize, Alison, but if you're woken up in the first three to five hours, I don't know about you, but I'm literally like, <gasps> I'm confused. I've got sleep and I'm in a fog and I feel sick. And then I can't get back to sleep either. So broken sleep, just him getting into her bed is enough to justify, yes, um, that it's not okay. And absolutely, that those changes could be done. If she's a teacher, I'd recommend she picks a holiday to do it, by the way. Mm. Um, yeah. That's a good idea. That's a really good idea. Um, and then preparing for school, Jo has said that her four-year-old needs a nap most days or is, she says, or oh, he's a total shit. <laughs> I um, love that, Jo. Love you, um, Jo. <laughs> how, how can she prepare him for school in September, basically? So I always say to not worry about it until it happens. So this summer holidays, enjoy naps in the daytime, um, have a wonderful summer without worrying about it. Every single four-year-old or most four-year-olds start school and they adjust and she can do early bedtimes whilst her son adjusts and at weekends he can take a nap. So it's all about being completely child-led, doing what works for you and not worrying too much because often the thought of of the doing is so much worse than the actually doing. So it will be fine and he will adjust, absolutely. Yeah, and if she turns up, they're, they're all shattered, by the way, for the first mm, year. They are. They're all shattered. If she turns up, I, I try to use food as a like a weapon. So I will turn up when they're in reception with good snacks, literally at school. So that you, you can't you've, not take a snack. You when you're picking them up from reception. I know. You've got to have snacks. My, yeah, my, if I turn up with snacks, my kids just look at me like, what were you thinking? So yeah, turn up with snacks. And then that gives you an hour of wind, as it were. I would do a literally half, four, five dinner and I, and then that'll give you the wind and then you've got the be- the bath and bed if they're going to sleep at half six it's fine it's not too early when they're just adjusting and you you will get there truly and some children do, my ted had an appetite he was five um at weekends and stuff they're all different there's nothing wrong with it it's not weak sleep is for the strong anyway so super <laughs> brilliant brilliant um listen eve and Gemma, thank you so much for being wonderful guests today it's been so wonderful your advice is like gold dust and Bless i'm really you. grateful that you've shared some of it with us today um your book love to sleep is available to buy now um but where can we find you online because you do share a lot of um nuggets of of sleep joy don't you online Yes, you can find us over at Calm and Bright Sleep Support on Instagram. We do lots of lives on there. We post lots of reels with free advice. We're also on Facebook. Um, but come and say hello and tell us your, your story. We love to hear from people. We do much more listening than we do talking. Um, so come and say hello <laughs> and we would love to see if we can help you. And thanks so much for having us as well, Aslan. It's been, been great. It's been so good. Thank you so much, guys. Mm. Thank you so much. Bless you. You take care. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.